We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 66, Kicking It. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm doing fabulous, David. How are you? I am great. Are you ready to talk about your Dominaria experience, both on Magic Online and Arena? Yeah, Dominaria is pretty good, huh? Yeah, it, it's pretty good. I don't know if it's up there in the top sets of all time, but uh, it certainly is a breath of fresh air compared to the previous block, which shall remain nameless. Won't uh, won't single it out, but um, yeah, it's pretty good so far. Pre-release was fun. Uh, the Magic Online release was fun. I even did a sealed. You uh, did? You played sealed? I, I did. I did a friendly nine-game sealed, and uh, I'm 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 on draft now. I'm I've had my fill of sealed already. Okay, fair enough. I think I've done about six sealeds and three drafts, uh, plus the two drafts on Arena. Yeah, that's another big thing, too, is that uh, with this week, we has, saw the launch of Dominaria on Arena. Uh, you got to do drafts, specifically in the streamer showdown, for lack of a better term. Uh, us plebs get draft in about a week, I think, from the launch of this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And, and there's some exciting news on the Arena front from the, the economy and, and in this release. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, but first, got to talk about the Patreon. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the Men From Moto podcast, help us get some equipment and uh, pay for the software that we use to record this, you can head over to patreon.com slash menfrommoto and uh, drop us uh, drop us a message there. You get access to uh, the, the mic check, the warm-up show that we do every single week, as well as there are other rewards as well. If you feel the need to uh, to spend a little bit more on your favorite or second favorite podcast, depending on what you listen to. Um, but uh, yeah, go there, say hi, participate in the in the message boards. And of course, if you don't want to do that, you can always listen to us for free. And we appreciate your support nonetheless. This week, so we're going to talk about everything Dominaria, uh, and that includes Magic Arena and the release on Magic Arena. Um, but first, I guess we should talk about uh, your week of streaming you had the, uh, like I said, the streamer showdown on on Magic Arena. What was that like? And maybe you can tell the folks that got to that didn't get to see it uh, what it was all about. Yeah, so they were calling this the Dominaria uh, preview event. Uh, Wizards invited a handful of streamers, myself included, to do this for that specific four-hour window. And they gave me access to a special account with a bunch of cool stuff in there. So it, it started with basically copies of every card that you would need to build a deck. Uh, and it was two hours of constructed and then two hours of limited. So I, I built a couple different decks. I made a Thalid deck, which was a lot of fun to play with the Thalid Lords and Slimefoot. Uh, I built a Lich's Mastery deck with uh, Approach of the Second Sun as a win condition. That's about as awesome as you would think it was. The only problem was it won too fast because everybody was just playing like, you know, Knight decks and Thalid decks. And I was like, this this isn't actually what I'm supposed to be doing right now. We'll break the format later. Let's just have some fun. And then we got into the drafting. And there's there's been a lot of comments about how drafting on Arena works and what's going on um, 
some negative comments, and I want to kind of explain something first. So what's happening right now, in case you missed it, is when you draft, you're drafting against AI. So you sit down, you open a pack, there's all of the cards there, it's a full magic booster minus the land, and you've got as long as you want to make your pick. And then when you make your pick, you get past the cards from an AI. Now, they're obviously not drafting quite as good as a human drafter would be drafting, and I understand that. And people are upset that, like, you have to draft against AI. It's it's here for two reasons. Also, the, the games are against actual people. You're not playing against bots. First, I would imagine it's here to test things, right? So they can kind of get used to drafting and see how that goes. And second, can you imagine coming to Arena from Hearthstone where you're used to their limited format being, well, oddly enough, what Hearthstone calls Arena. Like, I've played Arena on Hearthstone several times, and it gives you three cards to choose from. You've got as much time as you need to make that pick. Can you imagine going from that to here's a pack of 14 cards, you have 30 seconds, pick one, go. Like, that's going to blow somebody's mind. So they need this draft versus AI thing for new players to be able to learn how to draft and learn what draft is. Now, they've told us we'll have real draft against real players in the future. I'm excited to see that, but I like that this feature is here, and I think it's crucial for onboarding new players to Arena. Uh, as far as the game, how the gameplay went, it was great. It was very similar to how Eternal does their um, limited play, and that you played until you had seven wins or three losses, whichever happened first, and you got prizes based off of that. So I, I had a blast doing the event. I didn't do particularly well because I was for, forcing Thalids pretty hard both times for fun. I mean, it was kind of a meme thing and we were just chilling, hanging out. Um, but it, it, it was fun. You could uh, kind of adjust the screen. Like they, they, they had one that was obviously the streamer setting where it made the cards really big and everybody could read everything. And I thought that was a nice touch to put in there. While you were drafting, you could move things to your sideboard that you didn't want. Um... I don't know if you remember in the last version of Magic Online, it would automatically sort things by casting costs and you couldn't move them around. So if you had something with Kicker, you couldn't move it to your six drop slot. And that always bothered me. But you can do that in this interface. So if you want to have your spells separate on one side, I know a lot of people like to do that. Or you want to be like, well, you know, this triple green card, I'm not going to play it on turn three. I'd really rather put that in the five drop slot if I'm playing 10 Forests. And you can do all of that in this interface. So, like, it was graphically very pleasing. The sagas look fantastic when you resolve them. The art for those and, like, the enter the battlefield effect is just great. But I'd have to say, overall, the the event was a smashing success. Also gave away 20-something beta keys while we were playing. So there's a lot of new people that are in this and playing. Um, I would say, overall, it was a fantastic event. I had a lot of fun. And I, I'm I'm excited to draft again on Arena. Yeah. That that looked like it looked like a lot of fun, um, and and I was one of the people that I think was initially negative on the AI drafting when I first heard it because you know I just want pod drafting. But the more that I think about it, and the more that I've read about it, and I watched you play, and I watched some other streamers play as well, um, it, it looks like it'll be a good entry point. And and for now, it'll be fun. Um, I did enjoy the forge when I played Eternal, um, which was the. Um, the, the the basically not quite drafting where it was closer to arena's hearthstone uh sorry hearthstone's arena model and uh and i enjoyed that quite a bit and that was actually playing games against the ai if i remember correctly mm-hmm. um and and i did enjoy that for what it was uh it was a good way to learn how to play the game good way to get some limited practice in evaluate cards in a in a you know in a pseudo 
uh, limited environment. So I think this will be very good. And like you said, it's a good entry point for new players. So yeah, looking forward to it. Um, you know what? Let's just keep talking about Arena for the next few minutes here. And we'll get into the Dominaria as a whole kind of closer to the end of the podcast here. We've got a lot to say about that as well. But we're sure. on a roll here. So uh, so with this week's update, um, I want to talk about the all of the changes to the quote-unquote economy um, and also the pricing structure and the invent structure. So that what they've been saying all along is that um, events are going to be kind of the key piece to the economy or one of the key pieces to the economy and it's something that we need to consider. Um, and they also took some some feedback to heart. So there's been a lot of feedback on the forums about uh, the ICR, the individual, uh, what are they called? Individual card rewards. Card rewards. And, uh, and the number of packs we get per week and the amount of gold we get for quests. There was a lot of feedback on that. Um, that it was it was slow and it was you know you didn't feel like you were making a lot of progress so um, they announced some of the changes this week that went live today uh, today being Thursday the 26th when we're recording and uh, one of the big changes that they did is they changed the amount of gold that you can get per day so they didn't change the cost of packs those are still a thousand gold Um, but in the previous kind of model you were getting about 500 to 600 gold a day depending on how lucky you were with your quests um, and now it looks like you're guaranteed to get at least a thousand gold a day. They changed the the value of the quests and also uh, the amount of gold that you get for your first four wins of the day. So that's that's a pretty positive change, right? If you like cracking packs, you can now get essentially one or a little bit more than one uh, pack per day, which which I think is quite positive. It's double um, the packs, Dave. Like I, I worked it out to you were getting basically five to six packs a week if you played every day, and now you're getting ten. Now you're getting 10. Well, you, well, they took away the three extra ones that we used to get for free, right, as part of the um, economy testing, right, in order to to inject kind of the equivalent of people purchasing packs. Um, yeah, but you but still you, get the, the, the 15 win three packs. Yes, you still get the 15 wins per week, three packs, um, plus then your your gold per day, which is, which is great. So you're getting more packs. One thing they did do, though, is they did take away the the ICRs um, from all of your wins. So you used to be able to play up to 30 wins a day. Not many people did that. That took a lot of time and effort to do. I did um, that. You did that. And it was like, what, six-hour grind usually for you? I could do it in three hours with Mono Red if I scooped when I saw an island. <laughs> if you just I tested sure you a speed run yeah any control. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but still, like your average player was not going to play that much. But mm-hmm. you could get... You know, I enjoyed getting my rare card on my fourth win. Um, I enjoyed getting, you know, if I'm streaming it, I like getting something after every win. It was nice to flip the card and, and kind of feel like, oh, what am I going to get today? And when a card kind of upgraded to Mythic, it felt it felt kind of cool. It was fun to do. So I am going to miss that. Um, I, I really, uh, I underestimated how, I, how much I enjoyed it until it was gone. And I think a lot of people complained about it too. Like a lot of people didn't like it's like, oh, I got a common, like, this sucks. And I, I agree, you know, a lot of the cards didn't have any value. Um, but now, you, since you don't get cards, you don't get rewards for playing past your fourth win, um, what they've done is they have these constructed events. So they have a quick constructed event, which costs gold to enter, gold or gems. Gems will be the, the actual kind of in-game currency that's not for free. But for basically spending the amount that you would get in a quest in a day, you can enter a essentially the equivalent of a league on magic online where you will play up to seven wins or three losses whichever comes first and then you get a prize that scales with the number of wins so you know zero wins you get 100 gold all the way up to a thousand gold for seven wins and your break-even point is four wins at the same time 
you also now earn these individual uh, card rewards as part of playing in this league. So what they've done is they've taken the grind away from just grinding 30 wins out trying to get your individual cards. And what they've done is they've moved it more toward a risk-reward model in which you pay an entry fee of gold, 500 gold, into this event. And if you do okay or do well, you can break even. And if you are a, an exceptional player, you can actually earn more. Um, and if you're not a great player, you still get some cards and a little bit of gold back for your troubles. So they've moved the grinding to this event system as opposed to the ladder system. Now, I can tell you that events are the reason that I was playing Magic Online for the past two years instead of Eternal or Hearthstone. Like, Eternal and Hearthstone are fine games and I enjoy them, but it was all ladder play and that was all that you could do. Whereas on Magic Online, if I wanted to play a competitive tournament, it was very easy to do from the interface. I played a PPTQ today, this morning. Like, that's what I fired up the stream with. Uh, I've played in three of these constructed quick leagues, or, or what are we calling them? Uh, they're called quick constructed leagues. Quick constructed. So yes. I, I've I've played in three of these so far, and they were absolutely phenomenal. Like it cost me three thousand gold to enter. I walked away with thirty one hundred gold. So I was up a hundred gold plus the nine cards that I opened, and had a blast playing in it. Uh, warning: If you go in there, you're going to see a lot of mono red. It's really strong right now. But there were other decks too. Um, and it, like this was just a, a phenomenal thing that Arena has that nobody else does. Like, that's still my challenge. The competitive scene in Hearthstone is a nightmare. Like, trying to find out where the tournaments are. And then you've got to build three decks, not just one. It's like, I, I didn't want to go through all that to start playing that competitively. And then Eternal has a great tournament scene that's player-run, but there's nothing in the interface. And, like, I, I just don't understand why. So, really, hats off to Watsi on this design. I'm, I'm pleased that this is here, and they're showing that this is important to them and important to the way that we play. Uh, because competitive magic is what I've always been interested in. And this lets me do that on arena. One of my complaints about the ladder system was that there was no, there's nothing on the line. I had no skin in the game. Right. And, and this appeals to me because I can put something on the line, even though it's just a digital currency, I'm pretty stingy with my digital currency, to be honest. Um, but I like, you know, that I'm not just going to go to turn two, realize I'm not going to win this game because I missed my third land drop or something and then scoop immediately and go to the next one. You know, I'm locked into trying to earn these prizes and, and you know, I've put my 500 gold on the line. I want to try to squeeze out as much of that as possible because I want to be able to do this again and again and again and play as much as I can off my 500 gold. So I do like that. Um, I really do wish that I was able to get packs out of this, I think. Um, but I, I think I can put that aside because I'll be doing that in draft. Um, and these will be, these constructed events will be available throughout the entire beta. There's no end date to them. Uh, whereas the drafts, which we'll talk about in a minute are only available on the weekends. So, but this, this is essentially what the ladder play was in the previous version of the beta. I think most of the people will shift to this, uh, this style of, of play on magic arena, at least for the short term. Yeah, you can get your quests done in the ladder, and then you can move to this once you have a deck that you feel comfortable with and you feel that's competitive. It would also surprise me if there's not some end of season, end of month, end of week, however they decide to do it, reward for ranking up on the ladder. Like, I hit Master 1 or whatever the highest rank you can get is, and I don't actually win or lose rank anymore. 
Uh, so I imagine that they'll have to reset that at some point to make it interesting. And it would surprise me if there's not some reward, you know, maybe five packs for, for, and a, a wild card for being master. Like that's enough incentive for me to want to grind out the rank each month. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's also still a good place to like practice your decks, maybe build new decks with nothing on the line. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it'll be, and it'll be good for casual players. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the people that are new to the game will probably want to, um, you know, play their four games, try to get their four wins per day. If, if they're playing daily, uh, try to get their 15 wins per week. If they're playing weekly, um, and then just spend that gold on packs or drafts to start. And then once you've got kind of a, a good deck, you feel comfortable with that You think can win some games. I think then you can probably get some extra value out of the constructed league. Mm-hmm. Um, the next mode up then we've talked about quick draft. So this is the AI draft that, that you went through. And I, I want to pick your brain on how it went just from a drafting perspective in a minute. Um, but this one, the, the, the cost is kind of actually in the wheelhouse where I thought it would be. So the cost is uh, 750 gems, which I believe is around $5. Uh, if I've done my math correctly, depends on what you buy for, for card or for gem bundles, um, or 5,000 gold, which is not what I expected. I did not expect to be able to spend gold necessarily on this, but the fact that you can get it at least a draft a week um you know more if you play every single day and do all of your quests and don't do constructed leagues um i think that's pretty good for the free-to-play player Um, or if you do constructed leagues and do well in them that's true um where i think it falls a little short and i'm sure that uh you know this will probably change on feedback is the the rewards for playing and doing well seem very very low i would say compared to the entry fee um so Different from constructed, the payouts in this actually pay out in gems. So they pay out in the in the in-game currency that you can actually buy. So it's one way to earn gems with gold. You can convert your gold to gems if you do well. Um, but also you earn gems that you can buy back into these drafts uh, if you do well as well. So it is possible for you to go infinite. Um, the The problem that people are, are having with this is that the the win rate to even come close to being able to draft again reliably over and over and over again is around 75%, which for Magic players, especially in a best-of-one format, is impossible. So, you know, I, I know that, you know, the a lot of Magic players feel entitled to say, like, hey, you know, I feel like I should go infinite. You know, you might be a 40% win rate player, but you're like, I should be able to go infinite. You know, why do I have to pay f- to draft Magic? So there is some percentage of the player base, obviously, that will have to pay to play Magic. It's just, I think in, in this, I think it's 100% of the player base. And the best players are still going to, you know, on average, fall behind the curve when it comes to spending their gems and, and earning enough to pay back. That's over the long run. So the, the prizes are a little low, but what you do get out of it is you do get these, you do get these eight card boosters out of it. They do reward you with that as part of, uh, as part of the draft. And of course, you get to keep all the cards you draft. I have some thoughts that I think some folks may have missed. So this prize structure was actually in Magic Online until very recently. Not a lot of people even knew it was there, but I played a couple of them. I recorded one and put it on Mana Deprived. I recorded two others and sent it out as a subscriber video where you would do a draft. It was with other players. It wasn't with a bot. But then you would play best of one games until you had seven wins or three losses. And the prize structure was very flat, just like this is, where you basically had to get six wins in order to... to pay for your entry fee and do it again. So not many people played it. However, what it did have going for it when it was on Magic Online was that you could play 10-minute games, 10 to 15-minute games on Magic Online 
So for somebody that didn't get a lot of play time and maybe only had a little bit of time to play now and then, they could log on, play a quick game in this league, and then leave and come back and play more when they had a chance. Uh, I thought it was an interesting format and fun, but I didn't grind it because there just weren't rewards to do it. All of that to say this, these are the rewards for drafting with bots. I imagine there will be a format that we will see in the future where it's best of three games, we're drafting with real people, and the, the prize structure is going to be considerably different. Because I think this is your entry point for new people. You grind out your gold, you spend it to draft this, you get to keep the, the cards that you drafted, you play a few games, and maybe you get a prize too. Neat. When you're ready for the big leagues and you know what you're doing, come on into the best of three draft leagues. We're going to have some fun there. So, like, I don't mind that I can't go infinite on this. I don't want to go infinite on this. Drafting with bots right now is neat because I'm doing it on Arena, and Arena's pretty and shiny and neat and new. But I, I'm not, I don't want to be doing this a year from now, right? Like, I, I'm not going to be playing Quick Draft once the real thing is out. So that's the price structure that I'm actually interested in looking at. Like, this one is paying out in the, you know, one to three eight-card boosters, Right. This is expressly here for you to come learn how to draft, get some cards to add to your collection, and then go play in other tournaments. So I, I don't, I, like, the fact that I can't go infinite on this, I don't care. I don't want to go infinite on this. Show me the prize structure for best of three and we can talk. Because that does need to reward somebody, I don't know, somewhere around a 60% win rate? You should, be, that person should be able to go infinite in drafts. I, yeah. I feel like, don't you? Uh, actually you know what so i mean i i think we agree on this topic like uh the way that you've put it there i think you've you've definitely convinced me that you know if this is the price structure for entry level i think that's great um which is probably why the friendly league friendly draft leagues existed on magic online was to experiment with this and that's oh, why I'm they sure don't exist there anymore um but yeah so I want to talk about the the going infinite, the expected win rate. So this is a question that I pose to people every time they say to me or they, they say on Twitter or they say on the forum, like, you know, oh, I, I you know, I can't go infinite. Like, why am I playing this? And, and so what I ask is I ask what percentage of what what's what win rate do you think should be rewarded with the ability to draft, you know, indefinitely, right? Or for very small costs, let's say, is it? 50% and if they say 50% actually it's funny nobody ever answers this question because nobody has an answer to it because all they all they want to do is they want themselves to go infinite right mm -hmm. so I'm going to ask you do, do you think it's 60% do you realistically think that a 60% player should be able to, to to play forever to go infinite as as we say well you stated earlier that 75% is too high mm-hmm I think 60% win rate is pretty dang good in Magic. So, yeah, I I I I would say 60% win rate sounds good to me. Okay. So, the reason I say 75% is too high is because it's not attainable, right? Like the best players in the world don't have a 75% win rate. So, do you want your top 5% of players to have go infinite? Do you want your top 15%, your top 30%? I think I think that that's probably a better indicator of, of, of where you're at. So if you say 60%, you're probably looking at what, like the top quarter, like like the, the top 25% of players probably have a 60% or better win rate, right? Sure. So you're, yeah, when you look at it that way, you're like, maybe I want the top 10% to draft infinite. That is a better way to look at it. I, I think so. And, and I don't know where that number is, but like, 
I think I think above 60% is probably fair. Like somewhere between 60 and 65% is so we're pretty close, I think, right? Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because that's in my wheelhouse, but I think that like I think that even me probably should have a tr- have trouble going infinite. Like when I play Magic Online, um now I do the intermediate leagues usually because of um you know, queue lengths and and you know the cost to enter and things like that. And, and they're the fear. worst and the fear and they're the worst expected value right by far um and i have about in my last 50 drafts i have about a 68 percent win rate and i'm like i haven't put money in in the longest time right like my average cost per draft is continually going down even in the worst expected value format on magic online um and 68 percent is pretty high for me i think so i think that somebody like me in the 63 percent 64 percent lifetime range should probably think that that's attainable but I don't think I should be privileged. I don't think it should just be given to me because I, I have a 63% win rate. I think I should have to work for it, me. Which means that anybody at like a 55% win rate is probably going to be paying for their drafts on average. Um, and I think that's fine, right? Especially given that, let's say in this format, right, it, with this price structure and the gold to enter, that you can do a week's worth of quests and dailies and get enough to draft, I would say at least twice, because you're going to get some kind of prize back, um, depending on how you do so. And I think that's fine. And I think people need to think about that when they they're thinking like they're complaining, or they're they're talking about this is like, are you a 50% win rate player? Because if you think you should be going infinite at 50%, you know, somebody's going to lose money on this, and that's going to be wizards, essentially, like they're not going to make any money off of this, and then the game's not going to exist anymore. So somebody has to pay for the drafts. Now, I know you're going to say it's like a digital collection, you know, they could just make these things out of nowhere. Well, it costs money for them to develop and run the game. And if they're not making any money, obviously, the, the game's going to go away. Magic Arena. Magic will be around forever, I think. But, um, or as long as we want to play it. I think so, Arena's going to be here for a while, too, man. I hope so. And I, and I think the model that they have, you know, if, if this is intended for new players and the, the, the prize structure, I would love if Arena had the same prize structure as Magic Online. Me too. Right? To be honest, I, th- I think that would be great. I mean, they might have to adjust the costs a little bit compared to Magic Online because, like I said, it's it's twelve bucks to draft on Magic Online. I can do it for about a dollar fifty now. Um, but but yeah, I, I think if they had six two two twos or or competitive queues, you know, very top heavy prizes, I think I think this would be a slam dunk for Arena. And I don't think that they would segment their player base that much with it. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I just I would encourage everybody to remember that while you can't go infinite on this, do you really want to? Like, a year from now, do you want to be playing Quick Draft? The answer is probably no. Not Quick Draft, no. We want to be playing the, the next level stuff. So we'll we'll have to see how the prizes look. I do like that this is a way to spend my gold instead of just cracking packs. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's pretty positive. I can get one to three boosters for 5,000 gold, plus whatever gems that I win plus whatever cards that I draft. I, I think it's pretty positive. So I look forward to doing this. And um, the unfortunate thing is, is that these can only be done on the weekend during the beta. They've done this so that the, the they, they ensure that they have a population ready and waiting to play. Um, and the first draft up is not Dominaria. It's actually Hour of Devastation, your favorite format. Woohoo! Yeah, I love Hour of Devastation. I'm actually looking forward to drafting it again. That'll be great. Yeah, I wonder if they'll give away Dominaria boosters or they'll be Hour of Devastation boosters. We'll have to see, but at the very least, you get a chance to open up some Scarab Gods, so that's kind of cool. Heck yeah. Yeah. So first week is Hour of Devastation. That's May 4th through 7th. Then we have Dominaria the 11th through the 14th. 
uh, rivals of Ixalan, the 18th through the 21st, and then the cycle just starts over again. Yep. And then there were a few other economy changes overall that I kind of wanted to touch on. Um, so we've talked about the, the quests and the, the, the daily wins and things like that. The weekly wins are all the same for the most part, except they got better in value. Um, they did change the vault back to the way that it was previously, which is A plus thumbs up for me. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. But what they did do is they actually lowered the rate of opening the vault, um, which which I, I haven't seen any numbers on this yet to know for sure how it's going to affect people, um, but it does seem to be a little bit slower. And, um, and on top of that, originally they said that the packs that you opened when you drafted would contribute to your vault. That has since been corrected. It's not actually going to work that way. So we do not get vault progress from opening packs when we draft. Obviously, we get them from the packs that we open afterward. Um, and if you do draft any duplicates when you're drafting, uh, you will get vault progress there as well. So it remains to be seen what the overall impact on the vault is. But the early numbers look like it is going to be slower to open the vault. You know what? I'm fine with that because they made it so much better. I cracked two before the update, and it was such a colossal disappointment. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, here's some cards you don't want that are, you know, rare. It's like, awesome. So, like, I literally cracked the vault, looked at all the cards, and said, neat. And then went back to ladder play. Just didn't care. And then I yeah. cracked one with a new update, and it was like, here's two mythics and three rare wild cards. It's like, holy crap, we're making a deck, folks. Like, it, it's so much better that I don't care if it takes another week or two to unlock. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of other things that we can go into later. These are um, less interesting for the podcast, but like the cost of gems and, and how many packs you can buy with your gems and things like that. Um, there'll be a lot of people that are posting those breakdowns on Twitter and things like that. I don't have a lot of those numbers in front of me. Just know that you can now spend real money and they have said that you will get all of those gems refunded to you uh, when they go live, when they wipe everybody's account. So you don't have to worry about losing your money in the beta. Um, and all of this stuff is subject to change too, right? They're testing all of these values. So just keep that in mind as you're doing that, but you're welcome to come in here and drop 50 to a hundred dollars and buy your packs and see what it would be like to, uh, to do that when the game launches. So they've said you will get the gems back that you've purchased. If you end up with more gems because you are an 80% win rate player than you actually bought, you won't get all of the gems back. You'll only get the ones that you actually paid for. Uh, right. And I, I did see a thread on Reddit that was basically doing the math of what you've got to buy to get a tier one deck. And it looks like if you want to drop a hundred bucks, you can have a tier one deck immediately, which is usually less than Magic Online and about about in line with other uh, digital card games. Okay, and that's good. So um, the fact that it's in line with digital other digital card games is really good because those games don't have a way to recycle or to to get dollars back out of those like magic online right like if you buy a hundred dollar on deck on magic online sometimes you can recoup some of that cost if you don't you know if if you're tired of the deck or you find something else you want to play you sometimes you can sell those and get some value back so mm -hmm. so it's good that it's in line with other other card games but um yeah I, I look forward to it i'm not sure how much i will drop on this i will probably just spend money on drafting to be honest instead of trying to construct a constructed deck but we shall see how it goes I'm anticipating dropping about a hundred bucks every expansion, using those gems to draft, and then fill out a constructed deck, and then use that to grind more drafts. Like I don't, I don't mind putting a couple hundred dollars, um, you know, a year into this. That seems fine to me. Yeah, I mean, but you, you generally, I mean, I guess you don't spend money on Magic Online these days. You've, you've kind of got that locked in for life. But um, 
you know, you you're you're the type of person that doesn't mind supporting companies that make games that you enjoy. So, and I think there's a lot of people out there that are like you, and and I'm one of them for sure. So I just don't know where my price point is on that. We'll have to see how fun the drafts are, but um, they haven't said when best of three drafts come out. We'll it's see. Hard, I'm sure really I'll spend fun, more dude. There. The interface is just so so good. I was actually quite impressed with the interface when you showed it off. Um, that was surprising to me. I I didn't expect it. They kept all the good things of Magic Online while trying to make it like you know streamer friendly or mobile friendly potentially for the future. So, um, and one of the things that they did talk about is obviously these are disconnected drafts, so you can stop drafting, close your program, come back, and and continue your draft at a later time. Uh, which is great if if they ever want to do this on mobile because that that will be the way that you do it, right? Like you can't sit down and do an eight-person draft and disconnect because you go into a tunnel or something like that. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, yeah, it's good, and I look forward to uh, to seeing where they go with this in the future. Yeah, just make sure you don't draft and drive. <laughs> yeah, be the passenger, please. Yeah. So I think we got to talk about Dominaria now. Yeah, let's kick it old school, man. Let's kick it old school. So, Dominaria stories. Where do you want to start? Sealed is great again. It's been a long time since I have played a sealed league for fun, and I have just been jamming as many sealed leagues as I could possibly do, and it's been an absolute blast. It's just fun to play sealed magic again. And, like, I did not enjoy Rival Sealed. Hour of Devastation Sealed was great. Ixalan Sealed was kind of garbo. Like, it's it's just so fun to sit down and crack a deck and look through the cards and see a bunch of powerful cards and then have to make decisions about, can I splash this? Can I splash that? Where's my mana base? What's the fixing? What are my impactful cards? Like, to have decisions to make again. And then the gameplay is actually interesting. And, like, I feel like I'm making decisions that matter. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me in all of this is Kicker. And I think there's a common misconception among a lot of folks that Kicker is a mana sink. Have you had people tell you this? I've seen it in stream a bit, yeah. Kicker's not a mana sink. Uh, Slimefoot is a mana sink. It's a card that says you can spend four mana and make a sapperling. That's a place that you can sink mana without using any cards. What Kicker is, is a modal spell. So it's like making the decision, I'll play this mediocre two drop or this mediocre six drop that has an effect, right? In the case of like... The Skin Witch, for example. Like, you wouldn't usually put a 2-mana 1-3 in your deck. And you probably wouldn't play a 6-mana 1-3 that made your opponent discard two cards. But you're not playing either of those. You're playing both of them. So if your opponent plays a turn 1, you know, 2-1, you're like, Hey, Skin Witch, jump in the game. And if they don't, you top deck it later. You're like, hey, I can actually put 6-mana in this. So it's a little bit different than a Mana Sink. Think of it like Supreme Will. Choose one, counter this spell, or look at your top four, right? So I feel like Kicker is is really cool, and it it is skill testing, and I enjoy it. And it's played out a little more uh, of make a decision than I thought it would. I thought they were going to be like, if you've got this in your hand and you can play it, play it. But there's been some tension where I've got five lands in that skin witch, but they've only got two cards in hand. I'm like... Do I, do I play this out because the board's a little clogged or do I wait? Like, are they going to cast the spells? Like, it, it's been more interesting than I thought it would be, but it still doesn't qualify as a mana sink. I think the best thing I did with Kicker was the uh, the red 1-3 that gets an instant or sorcery from the graveyard <laughs> for six mana. Mm-hmm. And I copied it with Dean, uh, the rare wizard that copies the enter the battlefield effects of, of wizards. 
so I I got to get back two solid removal spells for six mana, and it, it felt really good. One thing you should try is kicking that to get back a soul salvage, and then using the soul salvage to get back two more of them. And that seems, yeah, you're starting to see incredible. it now. Yeah, that yeah, that I was see, a really I good see deck. The combo. I see, <laughs> you the see combo. what I did there. I do see what you did there. Um, you mentioned Soul Salvage, and I'm really glad that you did because I think Soul Salvage is sneaky good in this format. And the reason I think it's sneaky good in this format is I mentioned on the on the mic check, but it seems like it's a it's a format of haymakers. So you and your opponent are just like two heavyweight boxers that are just toe to toe throwing bombs at each other. And like, you know, you answer one bomb and your opponent comes back with another one and you answer that one and they come back with a third one and you answer that one. And you're like, finally, we've stabilized this game. Can I just attack you for two? And then your opponent goes and plays a soul salvage and you're like, well, I guess this game's over. Yeah. Like, how have you had that? How many times have you run into that where the black deck or the green deck has some kind of recursion and you're just like, I'm out of gas now. Like, I can't do anything about this. I mean, it feels like if you don't have a card advantage plan in your deck somewhere, you're you're bringing a knife to a gunfight. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, that Soul Salvage is a great way to do that in black. There's other ways to do it in blue. I still think it's on par with Divination. Like, I've done some really stupid stuff with Divination and Navigator's Compass. Don't judge me. You have been judged. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, definitely card advantage. And the reason is, is basically because I think everybody will have powerful spells in their deck. And and the person that, like you say, the people that win games of limited are, you know, whoever gets the best mix of land and spells. I think in this format, it might be who gets the best mix of lands and cards that do amazing things on their side of the table. Um, because there are a lot of cards that do amazing things, right? Like there's a three mana, two, two, first strike vigilance, legendary creature with lifelink that can be insane on a lot of boards. And if you happen to suit her up with equipment or whatever, she's just a must answer at that point. And it's three mana and it's an uncommon, right? Like there's a lot of these very powerful cards that both players have access to. So, so I think the person that that gets the most out of those cards or gets there the fastest, I think has a really good chance to win the game. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, so like I've liked Soul Salvage. I like the Memorial, the Black Memorial land. Oh, it's um, great. It's great. The Eldest Reborn has been really good. I know that you mentioned that uh, on the warm-up show, but that card has been amazing. So that's the five-mana saga, the the four and a black. Target opponent sacrifices a creature, target opponent discards a card, and then you get to get back a creature from either graveyard. That card has been great, like, period. Um, and then there's the green uh, saga, the rare one. I forget the name of it, but it's Nending three green, of green. Dominaria. Yeah, put two cards in your in your graveyard, get a creature back to your hand, do it again. Um, and then get all lands back. So funny story about that card. Um, I drafted this terrible, what was it, red-white deck yesterday on stream? It was just bad, but that's not the point. But my opponent played a turn four Josu. That's the four five menace. And if you kick it for ten total mana, you get a bunch of eight or a bunch of two two uh, night zombies with menace. Mm-hmm. I think you get eight of them, right? So my opponent played it on curve. Great. I have. Uh, fight with fire or whatever in my hand to deal with it boom it's gone i'm done with it i'm swinging for four life is good for david turn five they play that uh the mending of dominaria uh put a land in the graveyard and get josie back to their hand i'm like okay well they're gonna play it again i'll i'll draw a fiery intervention and i'll kill it everything will be great um they don't play it they play 
the mana elf, uh, the one that has kicker, uh, the two two or green green for spells that uh, that are kicked. So mm-hmm. like, oh great, I'm in trouble. And then they flip two lands in the graveyard. So if you're doing the math at this point, they have enough to kick Josu on turn eight, at which they do, and I lose basically on the spot. Yeah, turns out All because it's of mending. Mm-hmm. Mending of Dominaria is just fantastic. But this is the graveyard value that I'm kind of talking about. And um, any, like you said, any kind of card advantage. I like Soul Salvage, I think, a bit more than, than Divination. And the reason being is because you're probably going to have good cards in your graveyard. Um, whereas Dominaria, uh, Do- Dominaria. Um, Divination is better if you haven't lost those creatures yet, if you're kind of digging for them. So I think it's in- an interesting comparison between the two. I'm still a big fan of, of Divination over it because, like, Soul Salvage just doesn't do anything on turn three. And if I'm stuck on three lands and I need more, I, it can't get me out of that problem, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't matter if I'm playing black and not blue. It only matters if I'm playing a blue-black deck. And even then, I'd like a mix of them, right? That's true. Yep. Yeah, I definitely want something. Um, but yeah, Soul Salvage has gone up for me for sure. Sagas in general, I think, have been incredible. Um, there are some bad ones, but I think for the most part, even the ones that I thought weren't going to be very good have turned out to be much better than expected. And I think the reason is, is because there's not a lot of ways to deal with them. Like you can see them coming. I'm thinking in particular, like time of ice really got me the other day. So my opponent played time of ice and I have two creatures on board and it's kind of like, well, like I'm losing half of my board tempo wise and there's nothing I can do about it everything sucks i can't attack my opponent for very much damage over the next couple of turns and if i play something big they're just going to tap it down and bounce it anyway so i'm going to play something medium and and put myself even further behind it was just feel bad overall even if i had enchantment removal in my hand that would still kind of feel bad to use on a on a on the time of ice right there's just no good way to deal with these things in a lot of board states yeah, I, the only one I've seen that was actively bad when resolved was uh, Chainer's Saga. Like, that just didn't do enough for me. I, I killed my opponent because they played it. But I've played with, I think, all of the other sagas, aside from the red ones. And I've seen the draw to be okay so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my perspective is from Sealed, so your experience may vary when you're playing a lot of draft. But the sagas have been very good. You did bring up an interesting point about enchantment removal. I think you should be main decking your naturalized effects. I was originally on the side of, I'm not quite convinced. I've, I've tried not doing it. I've tried doing it. And I, I think here's the thing. While it doesn't feel good to naturalize your opponent's time of ice, for example, you're more than likely going to have targets. And then some of the targets are so good that you will stone lose the game if you don't answer them. Have you played with or against an icy manipulator yet? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, one of my favorite tricks with Icy Manipulator is to tap my opponent that only has one color or one land of of their second color um, and keep them off of, you know, off of casting whatever card is stuck in their hand for the last five turns. I really enjoy that. It's just fun magic. It also plays pretty nice with Time of Ice. I've been mm-hmm. able to do that can, a few times. You can get four if you do it uh, in your upkeep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it, it's super fun. I mean, for yeah. me, not for them. But, like, not you've me. got to answer that, and we're not even getting into rare artifacts yet. There's the Ranker Sword, there's Pack Hat. What is Pack Hat actually called? Uh, Helm of the Host? Yeah, that's it. So, I have a funny Helm of the Host story. So, I haven't actually talked about my pre-release yet, but I'm going to because of Helm of the Host. 
so we went to our pre-release shoebox games here in in calgary it's a great time um always have a good time there it was packed like there were there were so many players there for the regular pre-release that and like most of them stuck around for the two at a giant it was it was amazing to see anyway so we build uh kayla's playing a white green sapperling deck with the uh the three four angel that gives everything hexproof and pumps the team she was super excited she got to go off, off with that in one match it was amazing uh, and I played blue-black control with two icy manipulators. It was kind of my dream. We were crushing it. We got to the the final round. We were undefeated. Our opponents were undefeated. We had them on the ropes, okay? So they had uh, one flyer, a couple of creatures on the ground. Uh, she had a bunch of tokens and a 3-2 flyer. And she cracked in. They blocked. And we put them to, like, four life or something like that. I played a, a one, th- one three unblockable Tetsuko. They were dead next turn. I had Icy Manipulator active. I had a removal spell active. They needed basically multiple removal spells or multiple blockers. And even then, they were still just hanging on. They both had one card in hand. My opponent, they untap. The the guy playing white-green draws, leans over to his partner and says, check it out, top deck of the year. I'm like, oh no. what What's going on here? He plays the 3-4 Legendary Angel that gives everything hexproof. I forget the name. And then, but he overtaps. He taps like nine mana, and I'm like, okay, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, that's not enough for activation. I'm like, why did you tap nine mana? And then he reveals Urza's blast, whatever it was that exiles everything that's not legendary, wipes the board except for my Tetsuko, his angel, and then happens to remove a seal away that was on my opponent's Josu, so they get that back. Okay, great, fine, you know, we're, we lost a lot there. They're still on four life. I have a Tetsuko. Kayla top decked a Sapperling maker, whatever, so she can make four Sapperlings. No big deal. We can get it the next turn. Well, he had a Helm of the Host on the table as well, and the next turn he played the Baneslayer Angel and put Helm of the Host on it. And uh, that was the end of the game for us. Yeah. Because of... Top deck legendary into legendary sorcery into legendary angel putting helm of the host on it. Game Plus, over. It had hex proof from the other angel. Yeah, couldn't even kill it if yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Main main deck your artifact and enchantment removal, folks. There's a nice mm-hmm. one in green. There's a nice one in white. You should just go ahead and play them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that that was good. Pre-release was fun. Uh, helm of the host is a stupid card. Um, and it probably will be the most hated rare of the format by the time I'm done, I think. I think I will hate it the most. Which speaks to the speed of the format. I, so mm-hmm. far, I have seen in slow, I have seen in sealed and in draft that this is pretty darn slow, man. It is. And I mean, we, we talk about Helm of the Host and the, the Forebearer's Blade, which is also fantastic, by the way, but I think some of the other equipment is also playable. Um, jousting lance has been surprisingly good against me i haven't really played it that much on my side of the table but like every time my opponent plays it and puts it on a 2-2 knight it's kind of like oh man now i gotta deal with this thing and it sucks um i i i have made sir sally sapperling a few times with the jousting lance uh and on sarah's wings that that's obviously nice too but i've already played with jousting lance i've already played short sword in a deck the equipments they don't go in every deck and they're not amazing but and you said this in the mic check too. In a format of haymakers, if you don't have one, sometimes you got to build one. And yep. a sapperling with on Sarah's wings and a jousting lance—that sounds like a haymaker to me. 
that's that's your haymaker absolutely yeah so i mean your mileage will vary but I, I think it'll turn out to be that like you said some decks will want that equipment and i'm not ashamed to play either of those like short sword is is fine it's cheap it's good that way but um jousting last it lance is interesting and i think it'll i think it'll find a place in the format long term agree so navigator's compass should we talk about that Yes, we should absolutely talk about that. So when we spoiled Navigator's Compass, I think we were on the page. I went back and listened to that. Um, we were on the on the, on the the side of it's not good. It's not even close to good. It's below average. Um, and we also thought, at least you did, that you kind of speculated, like, give me a Traveler's Amulet or an Evolving Wilds or something along those lines for my fixing, and I'll play that over Navigator's Compass all the time, obviously. Um, well, we didn't get those. Yep. Right? So we got Skiver- uh, Skittering Surveyor, which is great, by the way. Like, I'm very glad we got to preview that card. That's, like, is it the top common? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not somebody that goes there and says, like, these are the top commons and these are the top uncommons, but, like, the fact that it just enables shenanigans, I think, is is really good. And if this format turns into a three or four color format, which who knows, maybe there's potential there. I think those go way up in value. But aside from that, you have that and you have Navigator's Compass as you're fixing. No Evolving Wilds, no Traveler's Amulets, nothing. So are, are we saying that if you're playing a four color deck in sealed, particularly because you have to try to play as many powerful cards as you can, are you playing Navigator's Compass in that deck? So there's two ways I've seen this happen so far. And oddly enough, my Navigator's Compass deck was a draft deck. I've done three drafts. I had a 1-1, a 2-1, and a 3-0. Guess which one had two Navigator's Compasses in it? I know it's your 3-0 because I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, I said format solved. You're welcome. So what I've seen is there's basically two ways to play four-color decks. One of them involves green and the three-mana slash five-mana rampant growth. The other one involves blue, Navigator's Compass, and Divination, and that's exactly what I did. I built a a base blue deck that was splashing red for the 4-mana 4-4 Cyclops, who was great, by the way. Like, I just needed him to block, and he's fantastic at that. Uh, And then I was splashing green for uh, Tatiova, and I was splashing black for something else. I don't even remember what it was now. And I was able to do all of it off of 11 blue sources and two Navigator's Compasses. I could make up the the card I lost because I had two divinations and one weight of memory in that deck. So like, I'm going to draw the cards later and get that back. And Ray, who we've had as a guest on the podcast before, has always been a champion of Navigator's Compass. He's like, the three life can matter. And it did in one of those games. And then he, he's also mentioned like, you're kind of going to pay a card for fixing. Like, we're used to getting ramp and fixing, right? So like, uh, New Horizons, for example, we played that in Ixalan. We played Gift of Paradise before, and it gave us ramp and fixing, and we thought that was neat. But this is taking that out of green and putting it into colorless. You just get fixing for it. So the, the way to abuse it was by splashing on both sides, right? So like I could play blue-black cards as well as blue-green cards and not really have to worry about forests or swamps. It just fixed for both. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that's kind of where I want it. In where I've got either things that are so powerful that I don't mind being down a card to cast them and card draw to kind of recoup that disadvantage. Yeah, and and that makes a lot of sense, right? So you're handicapping yourself up front with these cards that are not worth a card, trying to get your card advantage somewhere else, and then you're playing these powerful cards. Like Tatiova is a great 
great thing to splash off of Navigator's Compass because you do have that potential to get card advantage just straight off of her, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's an interesting approach to the format. Um, don't play it in a two-color deck, obviously. I, I saw somebody, I don't remember who it was, maybe it was Caleb on stream, who uh, played it in a deck with a, the Tempest Djinn and got somebody at instant speed by turning one of their swamps into an island or one of his swamps into an island and getting plus one plus zero off of it and killing a, a spider or something like that that blocked it. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, but like there's a specific deck and we said this too on the, on the, when we did the preview is there's a specific deck that wants this, that can take advantage of that. Um, it's just not that frequent and you have to be very aware of what you're doing. I think you can make a lot of mistakes by putting this in your deck, but it's cool that it's like, you know, this is your fixing in some decks. And I think it was Aaron Forsyth on Twitter was responding to a pro that says, I just wanted Evolving Wilds in this format. And he said, learn to love Navigator's Compass. And I kind of chuckled at that because like, you know, the people that designed this put this card in here for a reason. Um, and, and just because we think it's bad doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be bad overall at the end of the format. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember, too, like, again, I would encourage you, if we're going to talk specifically about Navigator's Compass, do not splash a card off of Navigator's Compass. Splash five cards off of Navigator's Compass. Mm-hmm. Because it's, yeah, it's repeatable, and it, it fixes, I mean, it, it lets you play your, your double black and your double blue alongside a splash. It does a lot of things in that regard. Um, but Skittering Surveyor, I think, obviously, is the preference there. For sure. Like if I'm going to 100% of the time splash and eviscerate in my green white deck. Yeah. I'd way rather have a skittering surveyor. Let's make it happen. Give me that mm -hmm. in a dual land and we're good to go. I, uh, I didn't appreciate how much skittering surveyor would help hit land drops. Like I, I knew that that's what it did. Right. Um, but I, I didn't have an appreciation for it until I got to cast verdant force on turn six the other day. And, uh, and it was very good. It was very good. So I have already played Skittering Surveyor in multiple two-color decks. Oh, for sure. I, I do it a lot. Um, and the fact that it blocks tokens and there's some some X ones in the format, and sometimes you just got to block something big and dumb and like essentially gain six life or five life, like that's good too, right? Yeah, because it's replaced itself. You drew a card when you played it. Yep. Um, favorite deck in the format so far? Favorite deck in the format? Yeah. What's the What's your favorite deck that you've drafted or built in in sealed? You mentioned two sagas earlier, the mm -hmm. min, uh, mending of Men mending Dominaria. of Dominaria. Mending of Phyrexia is coming later. I'm really looking forward to that set. <laughs> Sorry, mending of Dominaria and Eldest Reborn. This deck had both of those. It didn't really have its own bombs. It had a grun. I mean, sometimes you got to get a grun. I can appreciate that, but. Both of those sagas, along with a, an incredibly mediocre creature base and three eviscerates, was an absolute blast to play. Because, like, I was having to kill them with, like, this either Grun or the six mana five five death touch. And it was, like, not really a problem when they killed it because I'd do exactly what you said. I had one soul salvage in there, too. I'm like, cool, I'll just get him back. And I had the Wing Grace Knight, which was great. You play that on five, gain some life, mill some stuff. Cool. I basically just drew those cards. And then the fact that the mending at the end ramps you, I could like, okay, now we'll kick the grun. You dealt with him once, now he's back and he's bigger. Uh that that was my favorite deck so far. Okay. I drafted a Thalid tribal deck. First picked the Thalid Lord. 
um, and weaseled my way into uh, black green, kind of maybe forced it a little bit. Um, I picked a an eviscerate over a song of Freyles, which I got a little bit of flack for. Um, and then I picked an eldest reborn over another song of Freyles, which I got even more flack for. Um, but it was the easiest three I've, I've had in months. Um, they are. <laughs> I, I had three lords. And I started playing them like Timberpack Wolves because that's essentially what they were. I had a turn five kill on the play with uh, with this deck. My opponent was goldfishing a little bit, or I was goldfishing them. Um, but it, it was super powerful. And uh, with the Soul Salvage to buy back Lords um, and a Verdant Force as the top end, it was it was hella fun. I have played with and against Song of Freilies, and having extensive experience with the the card, I would make those same picks that you did. That's really a pack two card for me. Like yeah. once I've got a lot of sapperling migrations and I'm looking to go really wide with those, now I'm starting to get interested in it. And I've done it's, some neat stuff with it. Like it's a lot of mana, but you need to be able to capitalize on it and build a board quick. And your opponent sees it coming. So like the, they can interact with it if they're main decking their enchantment removal, which they should be if they're listening to this podcast. Or they can mm-hmm. just make sure they've got blockers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in both decision points, I didn't have a lot of Sapperling makers. Like, I had the Lords, and I had, like, you know, the the 3-2 in black that doesn't necessarily make a token. It makes a token when it dies. So I think I chose correctly in both scenarios, but Song of Freilies would have been good in certain scenarios, whereas the Eldest Reborn was good in other scenarios. So it's interesting. There are, there are a lot of powerful cards in this set, and there are a lot of decisions to be made that you can be right or wrong either way. And I think that it makes for a very skilled draft environment as well as a gameplay environment. So it, it's been very fun so far. I'm also really happy with where the removal is priced. Like, it feels like you need to make a decision. How important is it to me that this is dead? Is this the last thing they're going to play? Do I want to save this for when they, you know, play a legendary enchantment on this thing? Like, I think they've really hit the sweet spot with the removal costing exactly what it should for a good gameplay experience. Like when they kill my dude, I don't feel like they got away with something. And when I kill theirs, I feel like they're kind of making me do it because I'm real stingy mm-hmm. with my removal. I do not want to play it. So like it, 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 I've really enjoyed that, that level of the play experience too. Yeah. It's like, it's been a while since we've had a format in which we feel the need. I think we feel it feels necessary to, to ration your removal. And that's what this feels like because of the Haymakers. It's like, man, do I kill this this Danatha, this 2-2 lifelink first strike vigilance? Or do I wait to see if my opponent suits it up? Do I wait to see if there's something better? Or do I need to get it now and get some damage through? Like, am I the beat down? Am I being beat down? I think I think there's a lot of interesting play here, especially with the removal. We might have to do a podcast on that as like saving removal in Dominaria or firing off your removal and, and things like that. So um, I've been picking Eviscerate quite highly, and I have not been sad about it. So, It honestly reminds me of old school magic, because those were decisions mm-hmm. that you had to make there. Like way back in the day, you know, your opponent had one one creature in their deck that could kill you, and you had one piece of removal. And if you had that piece of removal early, you were not spending it until they drew their bomb, because they were gonna. That's how long the games took. And it, it's not quite that bad because I, I don't want that experience, honestly. It was fun at the time, but that's not what I'm looking for now. But it feels like they've really captured it. I mean, I look back to like the format to Amonkhet with Glorybringer, and you'd have three or four pieces of good removal in your deck, and your opponent would have one Glorybringer. 
and you're like great i will always have removal for it or i will make sure that i have removal for it but now they have so many threats you're like man like you know do i fire this off now knowing that that they could play you know a a bomb like a sarah angel the next turn or something like that i don't know i use the term bomb a lot in this format when they're all just good cards when everything is a bomb nothing is a bomb um but yeah it's been really cool and i think uh, i think it was lord tupperware uh ethan that said it on the lords limited podcast he says he said it i think he said it was very difficult to get two for ones in this format it felt like and and that was the kind of the challenge of the format so um yeah it's interesting and that's another reason why i think a card like jousting last goes up in value for me is because if you make your tokens into threats that your opponent has to spend removal on like you're two for wanting them it feels like especially if it's like a a sapperling or a knight token or something silly like that um you can kind of drain them of card advantage slowly over time and then finally stick your bomb at the end and then put a jousting lance on it that's bizarre i feel like this format is free two for ones for everybody really i mean it's two for it's two for ones i think on with cards like divination and soul soul salvage and like some of the some of the sagas but it feels like the two for ones on the removal side are not are not there i think is where they were going with that so huh because i've I've been getting people like i'm saving my eviscerates until they suit up and then Mm -hmm. splat got you and then like we mentioned the sagas those both of the sagas we were talking about are three for ones divination and soul salvage are nice clean two for ones the skin witch as well as the wizard that gets back stuff is is both of those are you know either a three for one or a two for one i feel like they're all over the place i think but not like a lot of those don't interact with creatures necessarily with the exception of eviscerate on a suited up creature to get that two for one um there, there's not a ton of instant speed removal that's fair um that's fair that that does that right which is i think where the natural two for ones that we when we think of two for ones like when you think of a two for one you're thinking of divination i'm thinking of mind bot, like, but that's close enough sure. when somebody like me thinks of a two for one i'm thinking of like i got you with a combat trick or i got you with uh um an instant speed removal on your on your aura creature or something like that right so fair enough it's interesting i think there's a wide i think this casts a wide net skill wise and there's a lot of different approaches to the format which i think is really cool uh, but before we wrap up, I know we're getting close to time, but I do want to mention that I had a draft deck. Uh, it was the two one that had four of the bounce wizards. Can confirm those are good. Those are good. Yeah, Absolutely. It had four of those in two time of ices and an icy manipulator, and I couldn't manage to win the last round. I was so disappointed. <laughs> Did your opponent just ever ever get to cast anything that stuck around for more than a turn? That's kind of crazy. When it worked, no. And I was playing the two three wizards to enable them and happy about it. Right, because you're casting on a turn four. That's interesting. I wonder if there's a deck. So, like I said, in my seal deck, I had that dean that doubles the wizards, and I had three or four wizards, but mostly I was just playing him as a piker that could carry the forebear's blade. Um, and it was really cool to get the incidental double wizard effect. I got the double wizard getting cards back from the yard i got the double wizard dealing two to my opponent's face and i also got the double wizard that deals damage to a creature that felt kind of cool yeah imagine if you were just bouncing two things i know that's the only one i didn't have and i was really disappointed but that would have been a nice little uh finish to the combo but anyway format's fun maybe not the best of all time but it is very good i look forward to seeing how it plays at the pro tour i'm very interested to see how the pros play this I'm also excited to draft it, and I'm excited to play Sealed. Like, I've got a Sealed League. It's the one with those two sagas in it, and I've still got a match left. And I'm like, I'm probably going to boot up in the morning and stream that first before I jump into Arena. Like, it's that fun. And it, 
for me, sealed is my favorite format, and it just feels so good to be able to play sealed for fun. Because by the end, I quit even playing the PTQs with rivals. I was like, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. But here, I'm just cracking packs and playing sealed for fun. It's it's great. So I'm I'm a happy boy. Once again, we're in the golden age of magic. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think we're going to end it there. It was a nice, uh, good episode. Good talking to you again about Arena and Dominaria. I look forward to more conversations about Dominaria in the near future. Uh, where can they catch you streaming this week? You can find me this week and every week on twitch.tv slash Simulan. I'm also on Twitter under the same handle, just at Simulan, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I am on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And I am on Twitter of the same. You can also catch us on uh, Twitter at menfrommoto. You can follow us there. We got to start tweeting out more deck lists and things like that. But mostly it's just podcast and podcast related things. Um, although I did have somebody, a listener, uh, no, I guess they tweeted to me and not the, the podcast, but, um, they listened to me mention that, uh, I was taking my daughter to two at a giant and he took his eight year old son and was asking me for advice on how to do two at a giant with his son. And I thought that was really cool. So kind of warm my heart there. And, and that's what the power of social media can do. So follow us there. And thanks once again to, uh, face to face and manadeprived.com for the support and the host. And we'll catch you next time. See you next week.